The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. So a couple of weeks ago, I was reading the news online, and I saw this headline. It said, one in five Americans religiously unaffiliated survey shows. And so I clicked on the link to read the article. I mean, maybe some of you saw it as well, but the pastor in me is interested in kind of two things there. Not just what the latest research says about faith in America, that, but also kind of just about how the study is presented uh, what, by, a, by an agency that's uh, not necessarily a faith-based agency themselves. How do they present this research on faith? So anyway, this, this study was done by the, the well-respected Pew Research Center. <coughs> Excuse me. And what they found in general was just what the title suggests, that 20% of Americans don't affiliate themselves, not just with the Christian faith, but with any faith at all, uh, any faith group at all that could be identified. And uh, they said that this was the highest percentage ever in America's history. Now, among Christian faith groups, they broke down the numbers a little bit more, and they found that Catholics were holding steady at 22% of the nation. But not because Catholics were holding steady at 22% of the nation. They said Catholics were holding steady because the church is actually in decline, but there are a number of new Catholic immigrants coming into the country that keep the numbers steady. Protestant faith groups, they found, have shrunk back to 48% of the nation. They said this was the first time in our history that less than half of the nation identifies with a Protestant Christian faith. Now, perhaps these numbers alarm you, and perhaps they don't. And if you are like me, and and you would check that box, and you'd say, yes, I identify with the Christian faith, then you might be tempted to worry about our waning influence in this country. You know, I've I've even heard people use the language of, you know, those people of... uh, of other faith groups, or of no faith group at all, they're taking over. But I don't think that's the most helpful way to see things. It's just yet another way of making people who are different from us look like our enemies. But they're not. In fact, they're a big part of the reason we're here. God has called us to serve them, to love them. But perhaps there is another reason for concern, if we just look at ourselves. Why is the church getting smaller and smaller in the United States? How is it that we could know the greatest love available in all the universe, that we could know the deepest forgiveness and satisfaction, that we could be people who know what it means to possess eternal life in the here and now and not fear death and what comes after it? How can we have access to a deep and meaningful relationship with the creator of the universe himself? And how could all these things be true and yet churches across America are losing influence and losing people year after year. Of course, there's, there's no one answer that sums all of that up. There's probably dozens of factors that are significant. But I found it interesting that this research study took a stab at explaining why faith groups in general, and especially the Protestant Christians, are shrinking. Here's a direct quote from the article. Pew says the rise of the religiously unaffiliated is mainly due to a generational shift. 
with 32% of adults under 30 saying they're religiously unaffiliated, compared with only 9% of those aged 65 and over. And that's the part that floored me. In less than two generations, not just the number, but the percentage of people who identify with no particular faith at all has more than tripled. Now, if that were to happen again, then in just two generations more, no one in this country would go to church. And so, in a sense, this secular study is poking us in the eye, saying to those of us in the church, hey, parents, your kids aren't getting it. Now, I think there was a time when all of this was easier. I think there was a time when the problems parents dealt with weren't quite as dangerous or quite as frequent as the ones we face today. I mean, I think if a few generations ago, we preached this sermon, it would be called Raising G-Rated Kids in a PG-Rated World. Well, maybe some of that's true, and maybe some of it's just wishful thinking, but the fact of the matter is that each of us has to deal with the R-rated world that we have here in front of us today. It's real, it's all around us, and Jesus Christ made it very clear to us. He's sending us in. We're supposed to be there, right in the thick of things. We're supposed to raise Christ-loving kids in a Christ-rejecting world. Call it spiritual parenting, if you'd like. This task of passing on a real and vibrant faith to our children. One that becomes their own, one that is mature enough to guide them time and time again into the arms of Jesus Christ throughout even the toughest of life's struggles. Now, if you're a parent, everything is on the menu for you, right? We don't get to pick and choose very much. Now, I'd love it if I could just pick the specialized, right? My kid's going to be great in manners. He's going to be the most polite kid there is on the face of the earth, but he won't know how to read. No, parents don't get to do that. We've got to feed them, clothe them, put a roof over their heads, and that's difficult enough just to take care of those things. But then we've got to discipline them, we've got to teach them how to build and maintain relationships. We've got to balance all of their lives activities for them. We teach them everything they don't learn in school, and then reteach some of the stuff they do learn in school. We coach their sports, we transport them everywhere, we attend their events, bandage their wounds, and try to help them make sense of this world. And we can easily forget that perhaps the most valuable thing, the most important thing that we can ever do for them is to pass on a real, living faith in Jesus Christ. And we may not even be aware that God has actually called us and commissioned us to do just that. As demanding as the job of being a parent can be, God doesn't specifically mention many of those demanding tasks in the Bible. He doesn't talk about our responsibility to be soccer coaches or to make sure our kids get to bed on time or to teach them how to clean up after themselves. He doesn't talk about our job to make sure they eat balanced diets and get plenty of exercise. Those things, though they may be extremely important, don't get a single mention in the Bible. However, what does get not just a mention, but premium placement in the Bible is God's call, 
God's instruction to us to pass on our faith to our children. Let's take a look at one of those scriptures. If you have your Bibles with you today and would like to follow along, turn to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, Deuteronomy is not one of those books that a lot of people get excited about, right? It consists mostly of this very long speech by Moses that he was giving to the people of Israel, uh, where he goes over all of the commands that God has given them uh, to follow as they move into the promised land. And so, not too many sermons on Sunday, or not too many Sunday school lessons come from these laws, but you may be surprised to know that Deuteronomy chapter 6 contains perhaps the most quoted passage of scripture ever, and the most important commandment God ever gave his people. The New Testament tells us that when an expert in religious law asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, Jesus pointed him to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which says simply, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This, Jesus said, is the first and greatest commandment, along with one more command, the command to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said these two commands can encompass everything that God has asked his people to do. So Jesus pointed to this command in Scripture as the top one in importance. And so Christians everywhere believe this, but Jews also agree with this as well. They find this scripture to be so important that devout Jews are supposed to quote out loud Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, at least twice daily, once in the morning and once in the evening. But did you know that it is surrounded with instruction on parenting? In fact, this most important command in the Bible is found inside a parenting sandwich. There are references immediately before and immediately afterward to God's intent for faith to be passed on from generation to generation. Let's look at a few verses at the top of the chapter. This is how Moses introduces things. Verses 1 and 2 say this. These are the commands and decrees and laws your Lord directed me, your Lord, the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you your children, and their children after them. May fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. So Moses sets up the greatest command ever by getting people's minds set on spiritual parenting. These commands I'm giving you are the key to your inheritance, the promised land God's given you. They're the key to long life. They're the key to living in harmony with God, but right from the beginning, you should have your kids in mind. And not just them, but the kids they will have someday. And then he gives them the first and greatest commandment of all time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And so the audience has just received some of the most important words of all time. And what now? Well, Moses continues. Here's what you're going to do with these words. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. And he continues on. 
But did you catch that? Moses says, yes, I'm giving these commandments to you for your hearts. But the immediate next thought you should have is how to pass them on to your children. The command to pass them on is very strong. The New International Version says, impress them on your children. Work at it. Emphasize it. Make sure it lasts with them. The New Living Translation puts it differently. It says, repeat them again and again to your children. It's not a passive command. It's not just a good idea or a a good option that we'll be blessed if we pursue that option. It is God's plan, and it's his mandate. Parents, whomever and wherever you are, God has given you the primary responsibility to ensure your children grow up knowing and experiencing him. He's called you specifically to raise them knowing God's love and knowing how to love God back. He's called me to do the same for my kids. Strangely, though, you know whose name you don't see in there. I don't see Pastor Mo's name there anywhere, our children's pastor. Actually, I don't see any of the pastors from our church or from their day. Moses didn't offer, hey, if you want some help with raising your kids, send them my way. There's only a direct appeal to parents. We are on the hook here. And it isn't enough just to say that we take our kids to church every Sunday. What? Church isn't enough? Most kids don't even go to church anymore, right? So I figure that taking my kid to church two, three times a month, I mean, puts them way better, way ahead of what most kids get. Well, let me tell you about that. The Barna Group did some research on this, on what impact going to church has on whether or not children will still retain their faith when they're adults. And what they found, I mean, it is good, okay, what they found is that going to a church as a child or as a teenager certainly makes a difference. Okay? In fact, the more often people went as, as they were in their youth, then without fail, the more likely they were to have an active faith and be attending church as an adult. So without question, their connection to church made a significant impact on their lives. Church is good. But if all we look at is church attendance, then the numbers show that about a quarter of the people one in four, who went to church every single week when they were younger, now a quarter of those people don't go at all. And about a fifth of those people who went to church every single week when they were younger have now significantly departed from the faith of their youth. And those are the numbers for that best category of people. Like, they went the most. And the statistics get worse and worse if your kids weren't going every week. So attending church is great, it's awesome, it's fun, it's biblical, okay? We should do it, we should all take our kids to church, and we should bring our neighbor's kids to church, and we should invite our friends who don't have kids, and and all of that. But the church pastors and teachers and leaders cannot be your spiritual parents. And more to the point, nor can they be your children's spiritual parents. That's a role that God gave to parents. And we couldn't take it from you if we wanted to. Rather, our vision here is that we as church leaders are here to support you. We are here to present you and your children with opportunities to explore faith 
and to equip you to serve God well as you journey in your faith and work to pass it on to your children. In a sense, we're coaches in this whole faith in Jesus Christ thing. And in your family, the game is yours to play and yours to win or lose. So let's talk about how to win. How can we be faithful in our calling as spiritual parents? Now, there's some pretty long answers to that question. And if you know me, you know I could probably get into that, right? I I tend to get into these uh, longer answers to questions and find out how much complexity there is until a simple thing turns into something that might seem insurmountable. And you know, parenting can be that way, especially even just spiritual parenting can be that way. It can be something that we spend a whole lifetime on trying to figure out. It's something I've led a whole community group on. It's something that needs to be reinterpreted and adjusted for each parent-child relationship in order to account for the unique ways that God's created each child and each parent, and on and on. It can get pretty complicated, but in reality, its core is pretty simple to communicate and understand. And so that's what I hope to share with you in the time we have today. Because in essence, the heart of spiritual parenting is the same is the same as the heart of living a faithful Christian life. Jesus gave us two greatest commandments and one great commission that can more or less sum up what he's asked from us. I mean, basically, he asks us to love God, love others, and pass on your faith. Now, I know I'll spend the entirety of my life on a journey to know and serve God better. And yet, I love that no matter how far along I am on that journey, that those three commands, those three challenges, make sense to me. They're inviting to me from wherever I'm at. Likewise, I hope that we can be encouraged today that spiritual parenting is similarly accessible. Whether you've been at it for a long time, or whether today is the very first day that you've really been challenged by this idea, that you need to take the lead in your child's spiritual development I believe you'll be able to connect with the basics and that they will be both inviting to you and challenging to you wherever you are on your journey. So what are the basics of spiritual parenting? Love God. Love your kids. Pass on your faith. Look familiar? Essentially, they're the same as the basics of the Christian life. Only the context changes. So when we talk about loving others... We get really specific about who those others are within parenting. These basics are simple to understand, yet they're challenging to live out once we get to that question of how they should be lived out and how they should shape our lives. So let me add some modifiers to each of them and make this statement. I believe you will be a successful spiritual parent if you love God consistently, if you Love your kids like God loves you. And if you pass on your faith intentionally. A faithful spiritual parent's first and greatest responsibility is to love God consistently. Let's look again at that original text in Deuteronomy. You got verse 5 there that gives us the ultimate command, the one command that God would have us to know and live out above all others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, you'll notice that in the command itself, the word all is intentionally 
used over and over again. God could have simply said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, all your heart, soul, and strength. Uh, he could have said that, and most of us wouldn't notice the difference. But instead, every time the command says how we're supposed to love God, it reuses that word again, all. How should we love God? With all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. That's quite a different picture. Think about it. How would you answer this question? Do you love God? Probably almost everyone here who calls himself a Christian wouldn't even hesitate to answer. Do I love God? Absolutely. Yes. No question. First and greatest commandment, check. Okay. But let me rephrase that question. Let me make it a better question that actually asks us to get to the heart of the matter. Do you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength? Um, I try. That's a harder question. And I'm not sure if I know too many people who would confidently stand up and say, absolutely, yes, no question. First and greatest commandment, check. But that's the question that gets to the heart of what God's really after. Not just that you love him, but that you love him <laughs> consistently. All the time, everywhere, and in every circumstance. Look at how this passage of scripture continues. Starting at verse 6, he's just given the commandment, then he says this. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you're out walking along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God's commandments, his words that tell his people how to love him, are to be the focus of every part of life. Notice the way that opposite ends of the spectrum are just brought together here. It doesn't matter if you're getting up in the morning or if you're going to bed at night. It doesn't matter if you're in the comfort of your own home or if you're away from everything familiar because God's commands, his instructions on life should, on life itself should be constant, should be the consistent focus of your thoughts and your conversations. And it doesn't matter where you are either because you take them with you. They're bound on your forehead and on your hands. They're written on your hearts. Now, does this describe your life? I'll tell you who can answer that question honestly for you. Your kids. Now, perhaps this isn't the part of the talk that many of you would like to hear today, because if you're a parent here today, you're probably thinking, yeah, yeah, I know, I've got a lot of things to work on myself, and I get that. But give me something that's going to help me raise my kids better. How do I change my interactions with them? What do I need to do to help them develop their faith? That's what this is about, isn't it? Well, we'll get to some of that later, but the first and most important thing most of us need to get isn't some particular thing we need to do. It has to do with someone we need to be. What's the difference between what we do and who we are? Well, over the centuries, philosophers have had some trouble finding the difference. Uh, maybe you've seen the t-shirts. Got that? Oh, yeah, maybe you've seen this. Socrates said that to, to be is to do. No difference. 
Fast forward several hundred years, and now we've really got a change in philosophy. To do is to be. And then, of course, you have Sinatra, that really clears things up for us. So who we are and what we do have to be closely related if we've been struggling with this for so long. I think it was Aristotle who actually clarified things the best here. He said this, and you don't see this one on t-shirts or something. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. We are what we repeatedly do. Or you could easily say, we are what we consistently do. When we consistently serve and love God, when we consistently talk about Him and make our plans according to His will, when we consistently worship Him morning, noon, and night, then loving God isn't just something we do. It's someone we are. So why is that important to spiritual parenting? Because, like it or not, we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. I heard Pastor Wayne Cordero say those words at a conference just once, and they've stuck with me ever since because they are so true. And this is why I'm spending so much time on this, because we could be the best teachers in the world. We could have the best skills for passing on our faith in the world. We could be smart. We could have the answers to everything a kid would ever ask. We could overload our kids with quality instruction every day. But there is nothing, nothing that will speak louder to them than the quality and character of our lives. We can't expect to pass along a vibrant, meaningful, mature faith to our kids unless we are pursuing one ourselves. And not just here and there, but consistently. The second responsibility of a faithful, spiritual parent may seem to be the most obvious of them all. Love your kids. But again, it's not quite as easy once we ask the question, how? Because for a spiritual parent, the challenge is to love your kids as God loves you. Now, I don't want to belabor this point too much, but nor can I skip over it, because I get it. Almost every parent on the planet knows that they should love their kids. And I venture to say that the vast majority of parents actually even make this a priority in their lives. However, there are a lot of unhealthy ideas about what love means out there. They don't really reflect the love of God. Some parents believe they are loving their kids by buying them everything they want, or by not getting too involved in their lives, or by not disciplining them, or by always removing accountability from them when they make choices that have serious ramifications. But that's not the love that God has given us. It's not the love that God has shown us. Under this type of parenting, the goal is just, as John put it three weeks ago when he said it, the goal is just happy kids at that point. Happiness trumps all. And when happiness trumps all, then kids are empowered and encouraged to grow up selfish. Because their happiness is the thing of ultimate importance. 
what they want and when they want it is the focus of their lives, and their parents feel like they're loving them when they're giving them to it, giving them to them. But selfishness does not produce the kind of love that God has shown us. Rather, let me give you my favorite definition for real, honest-to-goodness love. Love, godly love, is choosing the highest good for the other person. It is a choice. It's not a feeling. And the Bible tells us what that looks like in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it shows us what it looks like through the life of Jesus Christ. And we don't have time to discuss this huge topic today, you know, in detail of what love really looks like. That could take hours, so let me instead just ask you to reflect on a handful of questions about how you love your children. These questions reflect just some of the aspects of the type of love that Christ has shown us. Do you sacrifice your own desires for the good of your children? Are you patient? Are you kind? Do you meet their needs ahead of your own? Do you listen to them generously? Do you take joy in blessing them? Do you refuse to speak negatively of them and instead use your words only in ways that encourage them and build them up? Do you make time? Do you make spending time with your children a priority in your life? Do you discipline your children? Do you forgive them and build them up when they do wrong? Do you frequently tell them that you love them? Do you see the awesome plan that God is working out in your children and resolve to be a part of it? Do you pray for your children? And lastly, do your children have absolute confidence that you will never let them go from your heart, no matter what they do or how badly they mess things up? To me, those are the kinds of questions we should be asking ourselves as we step up to the challenge of loving kids. Do we love them as God loves us? Why is this important in passing on our faith? Because the Bible teaches us that even, even if I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge, even if I have a faith that can move mountains, do not have love, I am nothing. It doesn't matter how much you know or how skilled you are at passing it on. If you don't love God consistently, then you're going to reproduce something else. And if you don't love your kids with the love God gives you, they won't care about anything else that you have to pass on to them. So that brings us to the last challenge. Pass on your faith intentionally. Intentionality, it's a big word, but uh, it basically just means we're not just somehow trying to pass on our faith. We're doing it on purpose. We're doing it with a plan. Now what I want to suggest to you today is that you plan to spiritually parent your whole kid. Just like God is trying to that God is calling you to give all of yourself to him. 
every little bit. The best spiritual parenting strategy will focus on the whole person. What they know and believe, what they value, and what they do. See, so many parents get caught up in the trap of behavior management, such that almost all of their parenting efforts is focused on getting their kids to act right. Don't embarrass me. Don't break things. Clean up your room. Don't cost me extra money. Mind your manners. Do your homework, etc. But behavior management, you know, while it's appropriate for really young children who just need to learn not to stick their finger in an electrical outlet, is not a viable strategy that works long term to pass on your faith. And the reason is because it only deals with what is seen rather than with the underlying causes of why those actions were produced in the first place. Dr. Glenn Schultz, in his book, Kingdom Education, hypothesizes that there are three key parts that make up an individual. What they believe, what and whom they value, and the actions they take, which are products of their beliefs and values. I agree with Dr. Schultz's model, and I believe it's supported biblically as well, but I, just, I personally like to just think of it a little different. Instead of thinking of beliefs, values, and actions, I prefer to think about it as the, the head, the heart, and the hands. And so I encourage you today that if you want to pass your faith on to your kids, you're going to have to develop a strategy to pass it on to them in three places. The head, what they know and believe. The heart, whom and what they value. And their hands what they do in this world. This isn't a pick-your-favorite situation. You can't just go with one. You've got to go with all three. And so that means to shape their belief, that means you have to teach them. Not rely on someone else to teach them. Not hope that they'll just catch on somehow. No, it means you. You need to teach them. Remember Deuteronomy 6? You need to teach them again and again about who God is and how we are called to serve and love him. To shape their actions, to shape their hands, it means you involve them in all sorts of things that illustrate what you've been trying so hard to teach them. So if you've taught them that it is important to give, then involve them in giving with you. If serving, then involve them in serving with you. If worshiping, then worship together and bring them to church, attend church together. If you've taught them that reading your Bible is important, then read your Bible with them and discuss it together. And here, loving God consistently starts to take shape in your children as they see that beliefs and actions were always meant to go together. But there's one final piece, the heart. See, while they're under your roof, you've got, as a parent, you've got a pretty significant amount of influence over what your child learns and what they do. But when their heart is actually changed, you struck gold. When your children develop a heart that they have decided to surrender over to God, that's the thing that's going to keep them loving and serving God long after they leave the house. That's the thing that will help you sleep at night when they go off with their friends someday and you know they'll have an opportunity to make some pretty destructive choices if they want to. 
if you know that your child's heart is surrendered first and foremost over to God, and that they know the truth about what's good and what's not good because you've been teaching them that for so long, you'll be okay. So will your kids. But here's the deal, though. You as a parent, you can't change a heart. Really? That is between God and your kid. You can live as the best possible example for them. You can love your kids with the love of God. You can teach them truth and obedience, and you can influence and you can correct behavior. But it is God who will change their heart. The scriptures tell us that no one comes to Jesus Christ unless God draws them in. So what do we do? How? How do we be good spiritual parents here, parent to the whole child, if we don't have access to all of them? We pray. Every day we pray for our children. And not just for their safety and that God will help them do well in school and that God will heal them of their injuries that they seem to get so often. Those are things parents pray for. But no, we pray that God would captivate their hearts and become the center of their lives. Because God moves when we pray. Well, I want to wrap up this talk with some encouragement. Parenting is a daunting enough task as it is. But then if any of what we covered today is new to you, it can seem even more overwhelming. So wherever you're at on your journey with this, let me offer you two words of encouragement. First of all, God's grace is indeed amazing. He's not waiting for you to get your life perfect before he's going to bless your spiritual parenting efforts. He's ready for you now. He's ready for you where you're at if you're ready for him. He'll meet you right where you're at today if you will offer him to be one in the lead. I mean, maybe you have neglected what you've known was your responsibility. Or maybe you didn't really know until today. Either way, God is ready to move forward with you. Secondly, remember what I said earlier about how we as pastors and leaders are here to be a support to you? Don't forget about that. Obviously, one talk on this subject matter is just enough to cover some basics. So please, continue that conversation. Talk to me. Talk to the other pastors about your journey into spiritual parenting. And, you know, we will be a support to you along the way. We will lift you up in prayer. And we'll also point out to you some resources that will help you out 